before we begin, we just have a small message. A lot of you loved Rabia Khadr in season one, and we request all of you to please have a look at her organization at deansupportservices.ca. That's deansupportservices.ca. Dean is a registered Canadian charity and they're doing an amazing job. They serve all individuals with disabilities, regardless of religion, language, and culture. Please support them in whatever way you can. Also, I have to mention, this is not a paid promotion. We tell you this because it's a cause we believe in. This is Mifra Abid, and you're listening to Across Her Table, a podcast where we talk to amazing Canadian women with immigrant roots and how they're shaping the social narrative in this country. Join me as we talk to change makers from across Canada and listen to their remarkable stories. Over the fall, I moved from the lovely town of Milton to the city of Kitchener, Ontario. Needless to say, moving during the pandemic was exhausting. But it was a rewarding experience nevertheless, alhamdulillah. So as I settle in this brand new city, I feel like a new immigrant all over again. However, it is exciting to make new connections and explore new places and get involved in a whole new community altogether. Having said that, we have another lineup of amazing women for this season, inshallah. So anyways, season two begins and we start with a very interesting guest. Honestly, she and I could go on talking for hours, but as any podcaster will tell you, edit we must. Phyllis Ozmisir is a registered nurse and that itself is a huge contribution, especially during this pandemic. But there is more to her. She has been a media relations manager. She has been an Ontario Ministry of Health's public policy research. And she is the CEO and co-founder of Refugee Girls Worldwide. This is a non-profit organization that seeks to help refugee girls from across the globe. That, my friends, is no mean feat. But I would rather you hear all that from Phyllis herself than from me. So please welcome Phyllis Osmisier. Welcome to Across the Table, Phillies. How are you today? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mifrat, and thank you so much for having me. Yes, actually, I have been following you ever since season one. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> thank you. <laughs> actually, if you know, the last episode for season one was with Rabia Khadr. Yes. And it was then I realized that we have like a common connection in her. And I was like, okay, this is someone I would really like to have on the podcast. So well, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for having me again. I truly appreciate it. It's great to connect with uh, your listeners. I know uh, you're doing amazing, uh, amazing work. Uh, and, and it's it's so much fun to listen to your podcast always. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Phil is coming to you. I am looking at your profile and I'm amazed at the diverse range of experiences you've had. I mean, let's start with your education. You have a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in public policy, and a master's and bachelor's degree as a nurse. And all of them from prestigious Toronto institutes. And that's just your education. I mean, even if your work experience has covered a lot of ground, like you started as a media relations manager, you became a registered nurse, you are a public policy researcher, and now you have founded Refugee Girls Worldwide. So tell us, 
what drove you to this trajectory? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, it seems a bit unusual, but um, I think it's quite normal for uh, many immigrants to Canada. Uh, I have a degree in communication and public relations from Turkey, which led me to the media sector. Uh, but um, uh, many Turkish people would agree with me that, uh, you know, speaking English in Turkey is a privilege. And and growing up, I did not have those privileges. My parents had to deal with a lot of obstacles. Uh, I grew up in a rural part of Turkey because of my mom's work. Uh, she's a midwife. Uh, and uh, we didn't have a, a lot of resources like other students would. And uh, in Turkey, you have to write an exam to get into university. So, But I'm glad for that because it gives you a chance to change your path depending on how hardworking you are. And I did. So when I started working, I realized that English is a must. Uh, and, um, and I wanted to learn about other cultures and other language for myself. So with all my savings, I came to Canada to learn English at the age of 20, 24. And once I came and started my life again, and literally I had the opportunity to do what I was most passionate about. So as you know, many immigrants have to go through a lot of education until they can settle their life, which uh, I had to do as well. And uh, and uh, my passion for serving public, both in healthcare and in, in the humanitarian sector, uh, basically led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. So I know I would have never known that you said that English was a barrier for you, but I would never known that, you know, you didn't know English growing up. Yeah. Quite fluent. <laughs> well, I had to work hard, very hard for it. But, um, you know, it, it has been a journey and I'm, 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 I'm glad for it. Yeah, because you're not just fluent, you're confident, you're, uh, you're, you seem sound very comfortable with it. And a lot of people in Canada sometimes can have this, you know, uh, prejudice against people with an accent. But I think accents can be great because it can tell you so much about where you came from. And so it means that you have more than one just culture, uh, the richness of more than one, just one culture in your in a pocket <laughs> somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So that's great. So yeah. when you talk about Turkey, you know, we just cannot talk. Uh, we just cannot not talk about the global sensation called Erdogan. And, and, you know, everybody is like on this fad these days. It's like this, the Muslim game of thrones, as they're calling it. Uh Do you watch the show? Well, <laughs> I'm going to be a disappointing person right now. So actually, this is one of the first <laughs> questions I get when I meet uh, anyone. And when they learn, oh, when I'm Turkish, do you watch Arturo, right? And and I know it's a fantastic show. It sort of became a brand of Turkey. And I heard it's excellent. Uh, but again, I'll be disappointing. I have not watched the show. <laughs> uh, I think the reason for that, though, uh, I am very attached to the Ottoman history. I'm very proud of it. I've have I have read a lot of books and I actually have studied the history a lot during my studies in Istanbul at the university. So so I, I can tell you that uh, not only as my studies, but it's it's an interest of mine that I read a lot of books on on Ottoman history and 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 particularly European history. So watching something after you read a lot, it's a little bit difficult because uh, you know it's like you read a book and and you know it sort of runs through your veins and, and you know in your heart and you're you're attached to it. It's it's difficult to. W- 
watch anything after that. So mm. I think deep down inside, uh, I have developed my own imagination. I've read it like, you know, I've visited all the, you know, in, in, if you go to Istanbul, you will see there's, uh, Topkapı Palace, there's, uh, Chiran Palace. There's a lot of palaces that you actually see the history sort of in your, in, in front of your eyes. Um, so maybe that prevented me from watching it. I'm not sure. Uh, but again, I'm glad that it is well liked, well watched because it, it is an amazing past that people need to know. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think we were discussing, um, do you know that they were like, Ertu, I don't have, just correct me if I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's Ertuğrul, you said, right? Ertuğrul? Ertuğrul, yes. Uh, it's like uh, in, in, um, in, in Turkish alphabet, we have an, a G, we, we, we have, uh, uh, it's like a French with an, uh, with a sign, like, you know, different E's. G is the same. Okay. So we call it Ertuğrul. It's like, it's a soft G. Oh, Ertuğrul. Okay. Yes. You know, it, <laughs> In in places like Pakistan, uh, there were Ertuğrul themed weddings. <laughs> oh, really? Look at that! Wow. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. well, again, it's 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 a show that is you know captured the, the hearts of millions. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean nowadays everybody is so curious about Turkish culture, about Turkish food and Turkish language. And I have I have not watched the show either. I have to confess myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and for me, the reason is just that I just find the whole 400 plus episodes very daunting. I said, I'd never be able to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but Turkish food is more my thing. You know, I, I follow these uh, Turkish vloggers on YouTube and I mm-hmm. find the food so amazingly delicious. Oh, it just yeah. looks... <laughs> Um, it, it is just fantastic. I have to, and I find uh, like Bosnian food also very similar. And when I visited Bosnia, I, I felt the, I felt like it's, it's just so good. And, um, and Turkish food is like that too. It's uh, very um, diverse and, you know, it depends on the geography where you go to like, you know, Eastern Turkey or Mediterranean or uh, Western Turkey, you will find different tastes, which is just amazing. Let's come to your biggest project, mm-hmm. Refugee Girls Worldwide. Mm-hmm. So how did it come about? When did you start it and why did you start it? Yeah, so uh, refugees have been my, I always call it, have been my bleeding heart since, since particularly since uh, 2013, when the Syrian conflict uh, uh, escalated and displaced 6 million people. As you know, 3.7 million fled to Turkey. So whenever I went back to Turkey since 2011, I've seen the desperation of these people. And I've seen women on the street holding their babies and facing many challenges. And, and you know, unfortunately forced to do many things on the streets. And it was a site that I just could not bear. And social media be- became a platform, right? Now we learn things instantly with no filter. And and I am a person who just, you know, cannot just close the computer and carry on with my life. It impacts me emotionally. Uh, it just, I just cannot just, you know, sit well with my own world and, you know, just carry on with my own life. I wanted to do something for them. So initially I thought the politics is the way to make a bigger impact to change the world. But once I got into the politics, I quickly learned that it is not. 
politics just sucks you into this power grab game where you cannot be an individual you are anymore. So uh, this is where I wanted to get into public policy. I did my master's and part of my master's, I've studied international development in Sciences Po University in Paris, which exposed me to great organizations like Medicine du Monde. So I fell in love with NGOs and I learned that actually, uh, if you want to do action oriented impact, uh, especially for these children, NGOs are the way to go. So finally, a year and a half uh, ago, I said it is time to start something with my vision where we can focus on girl-centered approach to help displaced girls to reach, to help them reach their potential. How did you mobilize the funds, the resources, or even a team to start this organization? Mm-hmm. So um, while the refugee girls uh, worldwide is just a year and a half old, uh, the work that goes behind is, I would call it, 10 to 15 years old. So it is important to build a community network around you. I believe I've done that over the year- years with my, you know, a political involvement, community involvement, and little the projects we have done here and around the world. Uh, me and my husband, we are very active. Uh, we have uh, we have built a, a Somalia a, a water well in Somalia for a female health institution. We have helped uh, Syrian refugees in 2015 in Turkey. We helped uh, 3,000 uh, Syrian children. So uh, we have built enough work, uh, enough network, and 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 I believe uh, building a trustworthy relationship is absolutely essential for any type of business and more for NGOs. And my organization is running on a volunteer basis. So we are all volunteers. I'm currently a clinician going through my nurse practitioner master's at UFT, but I work with fantastic group of professionals whose heart are inspired by the same kind of noble work. So surrounding yourself with professionals and learn from each other are one of the ways to grow. So we hosted events, we mobilized the network of friends of friends, and slowly we are growing. Uh, while we, the, but the fund development is absolutely crucial, but it is not our sole objective, you know, uh, because our objective is to create something meaningful that will move people to help these girls and be inspired to change the world. And the funds, I look at it as a byproduct of this activity and as a result of what we do, uh, funds, you know, how successful you are in terms of how uh, to build your organizations and, and funds will come, uh, you know, as a byproduct based on your activity. You know, the word refugee sometimes is a very loaded term. Uh, sometimes a lot of countries uh, have this negative uh, stereotype against refugees and a lot of countries want to close their borders and saying, oh, this is all I can take. And we don't want, quote unquote, people who are just, you know, loading off using our resources, our country's resources. It is it is true that some people do have these kind of notions about refugees. Part of this may be because of ignorance. Part of this because they just don't know how it is at the ground level. What do you have to say to such people? Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to be, again, judgmental. That would be the last thing I want to be because many people really do not... Um, understand uh, what other people are going through. Uh, uh, and I don't want to sound like an expert here. I'm, I'm always, I always call myself a student and a learner, uh, and I learn a lot from other people. But I'm sure your listeners are already aware of many of 
uh, many of the things and stereotypes about refugees. And you're right, it's a loaded term. Refugees simply, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to use it for a legal status at all. It's just simply it's actually means like displacement, whether you're displaced internally uh, or externally due to reasons that outside of your control. So you're not really choosing to leave your home, but some something is pushing you away, whether it's a weather disaster, it could be an explosion like in, in Beirut, uh, and you're all of a sudden you're homeless, it could be a climate change, it could be war, right? Uh, mostly the reason is war and, and conflict. But I want to emphasize one thing here that we have to strip our strip and get rid of our judgments. I hear comments, uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know what, they should stay in their own country and fight. Why are they fleeing, etc." Right. So but we have never been in their shoes ever before we we cannot really understand what they are going through that's number 1 and 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 look at what happened to us in a short period of time with covid right we have seen people have, having fights over toilet papers i mean let's pause here for and for a second and reflect for a second we 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 literally we invaded grocery stores we created lines over lines to get in to make sure that you know we are buying enough stuff just in case we are in a lockdown we had never a shortage but the perception of possibility of a shortage moved us in a way that, you know, we just became like any other, like, you know, we are homo sapiens. Like, and we just, we, although we are intelligent, we always act like other species when we are threatened in the ecosystem, right? They would, we would like to protect our offsprings. And those refugees do not want to leave their home. They, that is the last thing they want to do. But they have to. So the, the, it is important to understand and respect and approach them with dignity. That's how I look at it. And when I meet and when I go into refugee families, like last summer when I when I visited a lot of um, uh, refugee um, uh, families in Turkey, in the, the Turkey-Syrian border, very, 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 uh, the conditions are I cannot even describe here. Like it's, it's, it's impossible to sit in some of the environments that we went into it's it is even impossible to sit there for 10 minutes it's it's inhumane but yet you see they are very proud they are not beggars they are not they are just going through a tough time it just we we just need to support them wholeheartedly wholeheartedly i entered them their house Removed our shoes. Doesn't matter where we entered. Uh, you know, shake their hands if they, if they, if they, you know, if uh, I, as a woman, I could hug them. You know, uh, smile at them, ask them, you know, how they are and what they need. And, and and this is again this. And sometimes people are asking me, oh, can we can we donate secondhand clothes? I'm like, no. You know what? You can donate, and we're gonna get them nice new clothing. Like again, I'm gonna emphasize dignity here. They are only going through a tough time. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, we can look down on them just because what they're going through, because no one is safe in this world. Anything can happen to us in the West or East or wherever we are. It just, you know, depends on the circumstances. Like I watched a video, a father is trying to uh, entertain and making funny faces. The the, the, the bombs are falling uh, nearby. And she's only three, right? But he's like making it sound like, um, you know, uh, this is fun. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I even get emotional explaining. So, um, so it just, uh, 
I just cannot imagine what those children are going through because I have uh, two seven-year-old, I have twins, and I know how scared they are of little things here. So, and when I look at them, I just picture those children and I'm like, what would I do if I was in, in, in a conflict zone and my children are, are just screaming with fear? What would I do? So, and, and believe me, I would do anything to protect them and, and anything to protect them. My children are the most important creatures to me. So, so I, I, I truly like the, for those people, I, that's why I respect them so much. And I think that's where the passion and the, the fire that to work harder coming from. Run us through how Refugee Girl works on the ground. Do you work with refugees who have come to Canada in particular or with refugee girls abroad? Um, currently, I mean, initially we uh, focused more abroad uh, and uh, we wanted to and we want to slowly look into Canadian context as we are learning because every every geographical context uh, and how the country operates with refugees are uh, is different. So currently uh, we are operating under a nonprofit organization. We are on our way to become a charitable uh, organization, hopefully soon. Uh, we identify trustworthy local organizations in different countries. We started with Turkey, uh, one, because uh, they have one of the highest refugee populations of 3.7 million and second because it was easy for us to navigate within the country because I know the context so we know we have two organizations on the ground that implement our programs we have a food security program maternal newborn program and a sexual and reproductive ed education for adolescent girls uh, once these programs are approved we create awareness campaign fundraising to ensure that they are sustainable so we also have a uh, urgent local or international activities, depending on the circumstances. For example, you know, when in March, uh, when uh, COVID hit Canada, our healthcare professionals were having a PPE shortage. PPE mm -hmm. means uh, personal protective equipment for healthcare professionals. So uh, we wanted to help, right? Because we felt that they're in a very vulnerable situation. So we have raised and donated $21,000 to our local hospital, William Osler Health System. We collaborated with HCI, Human Concern International, uh, which is a fantastic organization, I find. Uh, and I believe in working together, growing together. And, and, and for example, HCI and IDRF are two of these great organizations that we closely work with. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Phyllis, I'm going to ask you again for the benefit of our listeners, a practical question. How can they help? If there's anyone who's listening here and who's moved by these stories and would like to help, what should they do? So, and thanks for asking for this. It's, it's, it's definitely a very important question and we need to address. Uh, again, first of all, ideally, I would want as many people as possible to be inspired by this cause right? Uh, inspiration starts everything. So I want people to take this to their heart and reflect that there are so many children and adolescent girls and boys that need our help. But let's not forget that in, in the end, we are helping ourselves because they are our future. People sometimes are stuck in an ideology that political borders can protect us. We have, an, we have this illusion that we are safe in the West. But I think COVID is a big lesson 
to show that no one is safe. We live in one world. As the environmental issues, as the pandemic do not care about political borders, disease prevention and poverty elimination are also should be borderless, right? So, and I love um, Malala. So I, I love uh, how she puts it very well. We cannot success as the other half stays back. So we need to push harder to ensure the world is a better place by helping our children and youth of the world. So who are they? I, 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 you know, like we have uh, done a lot of research and we find that we found out there are 17 million displaced girls, only girls in the world right now. Their, their future just taken away underneath their feet. So we need to build a foundation for them. So please spread the awareness and help wherever you can. It doesn't have to be my organization. Help wherever you can. And of course, donate. Uh, and every single penny helps. And, and I want to emphasize this. First inspiration, put this into your heart because everything starts there. Once it's there, you're going to do a lot anyways. I don't have to tell you what to do. But once it's there, look around. Who is doing work for them? Try to donate. Try to get involved. Try to uh, spread the word, word with your friends, with your, you know, with your, with, within your own community. And every single penny helps. Sometimes people get into this notion that, oh my gosh, like, you know, I don't have that much. I, I, you don't have to do donate hundreds of, and thousands of dollars. I, I'm just going to put this into perspective. We feed a family of four for a month with only 50 Canadian dollars because your Canadian, your 50 Canadian dollars means 250 Turkish lira in Turkey and some other, uh, you know, uh, money amount in another country. So we are fortunate in Canada and, and I'm sure we are spending that $50 in many, many places that, you know, just goes like that. So try to consider, um, donating, you know, 20, 30, 50, maybe once uh, uh, every three months. That helps. Uh, considering how many we are, like that, that, that's a huge amount of money when you combine. So again, every penny hel helps and try to spread the word. So uh, that's, uh, I, I think uh, that sums it up. That is very inspirational. I think I am inspired now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're right. <laughs> Always, we have the saying, right, in uh, the prophet saying that, you know, every good deed is based on the intention. So once you have the inspiration, make the intention and then things do follow once you're really, really intent on helping. Mm -hmm. So uh, I will put in the resources in the description of our podcast so if anybody wants to look at your website or if there are any other resources you'd like to share with them and they'd like to educate themselves or to donate to different causes. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who are listening to this would want to do that thank you so, so. much Mirfa. i really really appreciate that <laughs> thank you so much Phyllis. i think i'm going to i have you know i have gained so much more information so much more knowledge so much insight after talking to you about this topic well uh, I, I, i'm glad uh you uh take me on uh, and your your questions your engagement and i hope uh we change uh, something and we, we moved uh hearts uh in your listeners If you like this episode, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We would also love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
just email us at feedback at acrossatable.com.